0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And buckle up, folks, because we have got a long, deep dive, and important story for you on the ever-present Xbox and Activision transaction. If you aren't familiar with anything about the words that I just mentioned, please do check out our Microsoft Times Activision playlist, where this will be the 35th video on the biggest deal in the history of of video gaming, and as I said at the start of this, we've got a fairly big update for you, but how big is going to be open to your perspective on things? Before we get started in terms of details, please do note that this channel, Hoglaw YouTube channel, Virtual Legality, Hangouts and Headlines, and other shows that we do are supported by viewers and listeners like you through our support platforms. Please do check out our Utreon or our Patreon if you're more familiar with that platform, and through those tiers, you can... Among other things, support an entire episode on your own like Ruketsu 86 has done today. Very special thanks for Ruketsu 86, their very first month supporting the channel and supporting an episode like this one. Cannot do it without you. Thank you so very much. Now, in terms of the history behind everything that's happened over the past couple of weeks, it's important to note that this Activision Xbox truck just keeps rolling along. Here's a PlayStation PlayStationLifestyle.net report on the fact that Sony's boss, Jim Ryan, actually headed to European Union headquarters to discuss the deal apparently earlier in September, or as they describe it, he flew all the way to the European Union headquarters in Brussels to voice his concerns over the Microsoft Activision deal, the acquisition, which has already been given a green light by one country, I believe referring there to Saudi Arabia, and is expected to pass in the United States, albeit with a little bit of scrutiny from FTC Chair Lina Khan maybe underselling the United States process, as you might know if this is your 35th video with us in virtual legality, seems to be facing a roadblock across the pond as European authorities express their reservations over the consolidation. Don't take any of that paragraph at face value. That is expressing a whole host of concerns that maybe don't matter to what we're talking about here, but it's worthwhile to note that Sony has found a bone that they are going to try to just latch onto throughout this entire process. And that is that they want somebody somewhere to make Microsoft promise them that Microsoft will keep Call of Duty on Sony PlayStation platforms for something longer than the three apparent years that Phil Spencer offered, at least as he leaked it to various press sources. So that's happening. At the same time, we are seeing Microsoft actually finally submit the documents that are needed to go through the approval process in the European Union to that European Union headquarters. And if you're wondering why Microsoft elected to wait until this point in time, I can't answer that for you necessarily, except to point out that they have so many jurisdictions to go through, so many regulatory bodies to converse with, that the European Union was always likely to be one of the ones that took a little bit more time for them because the European Union historically, at least in the modern era and at least facing technology companies, has been one of those jurisdictions that, was likely viewed at Microsoft as presenting the most likely roadblock. So they got all their I's dotted, all their T's crossed, already kind of heard from some of the smaller jurisdictions like Brazil, which is, of course, the subject of this video primarily, and knew what folks were going to be upset about, knew exactly what things to focus on in their reports. And so only after kind of getting those ducks in a row, they submitted their report to the European Union, which I believe, according to VGC here, has set a November 8th date to quote unquote, Clear the deal or enter a second, more detailed investigation phase. Spoiler alert, folks, it's a $68 billion deal. The European Union is going to go to what we've been calling phase two, right? On November 8th, don't expect the EU to approve the deal. They will go into a more robust investigative period, just like the FTC before them, just like the UK, just like these other regulatory bodies, which, as we predicted back at the top of the year, When this deal was announced, we're always going to look at a $70 billion deal and say, you know what? We should use our greater authority and higher level powers in whatever statute has afforded us those powers, and we're going to look at this a little bit more closely. The EU, in all likelihood, will do that. At the same time, the UK, which of course we went through in this particular playlist, has said that they have given themselves until, I believe, March under their statutory rubrics to actually approve or create problems for the deal between Microsoft and Activision. So we are starting to get a timeline that's a little bit more solid. And as we've said, the entirety of the time here in virtual legality, that timeline puts them at the end of quarter one, potentially early quarter two of 2023. Everybody telling you October or November or whatever was blowing smoke at you. And that's fine. That's what people do. That's what analysts do. Everybody's guessing and prognosticating to some extent, but it was always going to take a little bit of time. Now, on the Microsoft side of things, they made an interesting choice very recently, and that was that they put up a website to detail why to the public you should care about the Activision acquisition and why it's good for you. Our vision for gaming, more choice and more games for people everywhere. Players and developers are at the center of Xbox. We want to enable people to play games anywhere, anytime, and on any device. And developers deserve more options to build, distribute, and monetize their groundbreaking games. When we do this, we all win. Mostly us, but all of us. That's why we're sharing more on the industry and how our acquisition of Activision Blizzard fits into our gaming strategy. Now, I tweeted this out earlier. I used social media to comment on these various things. A lot of people had a lot of thoughts on this particular tweet, but I mentioned... That I have long thought that this deal was going to go through, certainly on precedents that I am familiar with in American antitrust law, in other jurisdictions that kind of favor American antitrust looks, that this was the kind of deal that always should go through, that Microsoft doesn't have market share uh, that is dominant in the video game development industry or the video game publishing industry or the console hardware sales industry, and that it was going to take a kind of Uh, activist or at least motivated regulator to come up with reasons why this Microsoft deal should be blocked, which, if you remember, is the only way that these regulators get power over this particular deal. They first have to say, this is something that causes a problem, substantially lessens competition, and then we can have their list of demands for how you could promise them something that would say that it won't substantially lessen competition anymore. Now, I tend to think that the FTC is going to do that and is going to ask for what we might call a consent decree here in the United States, concessions from Microsoft that will probably take the shape of some kind of promise with respect to Call of Duty availability based on what everybody's focused around. But they still have to make that announcement to Microsoft that they feel like the deal is going to be a problem. Now, the reason I'm bringing all that up with respect to this website is, for the first time in the entirety of this process, The existence of this website nine months on from its initial announcement of a deal suggests to me that Microsoft at least feels that either in the public eye or the regulatory eye or elsewise, that Sony's complaints about the deal, which are now far more vocal than I anticipated, and I would expect Microsoft to have anticipated, need to be curtailed in some fashion, and that there might actually be vulnerability for this deal at some level that they wouldn't have otherwise anticipated, right? Folks say, well, this doesn't evidence Microsoft's vulnerability. And I don't think Microsoft is necessarily vulnerable, but I think they think that there is a chance that they could be. And so they've gone out with what amounts to a marketing document, the benefits of the Xbox Activision Blizzard deal for the players. More games on more devices, including Xbox, PlayStation phones and online. I don't think there actually will be more games on more devices. I would expect, if nothing changes on exclusivity, that we will get the same number of games on the same number of devices. But that's okay. Choice in how and where people buy games with subscription and one-off purchase options. That Activision won't otherwise put things on Game Pass unless we buy them, I suppose. And for the 95% of gamers who play on phones, alternatives to gaming offerings from the dominant mobile platforms. Now this is a little bit of fun with statistics, right? Undoubtedly, 95% of gamers in whatever group also play games on phones, but this reads a little bit quickly to suggest that 95% of gamers are simply phone gamers, and that's not really how that math works. Of course, killing the dominant mobile platforms is something that Microsoft knows plays well with the regulators. That is part of what Epic sued Apple over. That is part of what these various jurisdictions are fighting over now, including an American law that might or might not go through that would also blast open the Apple store and the Android store and everything in between. And so Microsoft knows where it's bread is butter. This has been part of uh, their press releases for the entirety of this period of time. What are the benefits for game creators of our buying Activision? Unclear, Microsoft, tell me more. More ways to get games in front of more players through support, investment, and better access to gamers. Your buying Activision Blizzard gives game creators more support? Huh? Xbox is going to get bigger, and so we'll have a bigger audience to share with you, I think, maybe. Better revenue and fair marketplace rules through our App Store principles. Don't think you need to buy Activision Blizzard to do that. Greater flexibility in payment systems and the experience they provide their fans. So no actual benefits to purchasing Activision Blizzard. You've just slipped in things that you've done to be a good corporate citizen, which is fine, Microsoft, but this is ostensibly a table of reasons why we should care about you buying Activision. What are the benefits for the gaming industry of our purchase of Activision Blizzard, according to Microsoft? More competition in mobile, where a couple of big players dominate, Okay, Microsoft is intending to invest in mobile, and if they have King behind them, that'll be great. Except King already exists. It's one of the big players that dominates. Again, unclear why Activision being owned by Xbox hits that particular bullet point. Greater competition in traditional gaming, where Sony and Nintendo will remain the biggest. Hmm. Now, that's an interesting kind of concept. I'm not sure what you mean to define it by traditional gaming. Are you talking about consoles only? Console and PC? Certainly, I would say you're separating it from mobile. Uh, and also, your assurances that Sony and Nintendo will remain the biggest in what way? You're spending $70 billion or near as much to hopefully change the market share of the console space and you're saying that sony will forever remain biggest in this model it's only one generation ago that xbox was pretty darn competitive between playstation 3 and 360. so i don't know what to do with that but they're trying to suggest that microsoft buying activision is good for the gaming industry because a good microsoft is good for the gaming industry that's a question mark although that's a stronger point than they said for game creators emphasis on positive workplace culture. We're going to fix Activision and increased local investment from Microsoft in studios and creative ecosystems around the world. So you want to say we're going to save Activision. You kind of accomplished that mission. Investing in local studios and creative ecosystems, that doesn't require you to buy Activision Blizzard Microsoft. Now, they include the quote that I called one of their most disingenuous arguments, which is that they should be allowed to spend $70 billion on 10,000 plus employees because Sony spent less than $4 billion buying two companies that haven't released anything, as well as Bungie, which they have pledged to be non-exclusive for the entirety of its existence. That is a disingenuous argument. I don't care what you say, Xbots. It simply is. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to run it if you're the CEO of Microsoft, but it does mean I can call you out for it. They then included a bunch of different quotes about that, references to the fact that they promised neutrality on labor, et cetera, et cetera. All this stuff we have covered in our 35 video series now compiled for you, linked in this video, but seemingly showing that they're a bit more concerned than they were otherwise indicating. And that's the state of play as we finally get one of the more robust answers to the question of exactly how regulators are gonna look at this thing. Now, to cut a long story short, we covered the Brazilian application uh, for approval a little bit from a entity known as CADE, C-A-D-E. And we talked about this because this was one of the few areas that was actually made public and we got to see what Sony was saying against the deal, including that Call of Duty was effectively irreplaceable, a genre on its own, and that they could not compete with Xbox without its availability, which of course garnered the thumbnail. Sony said, what? And a lot of chin-stroking and navel-gazing type opinion pieces on this. Now, do I think Sony is fair in that assessment? I do not. I think it is overblown, but this led directly to Jim Ryan and Phil Spencer and Satya Nadella exchanging very public barbs across the gaming industry and i would not expect that to change in the near term as we see this brazilian cade authority come up with the very first kind of approval of the deal that has public opinion backing they're actually going to explain why they came to this particular opinion so spoilers as i said i decide to approve this merger without restrictions if you want to cut off the video right now you're good to go brazil approved this deal But what happened when this deal was approved was that I got absolutely inundated with messages and DMs and Twitter ads and podcast invitations, and every single one of them was asking some variation of the following, what does that mean? Is it really important that Brazil approve this deal? And I want to say, as a good lawyer always will, the answer is complicated, And it's primarily no that Brazil is not going to drive how other regulators see their particular ambit and their authority. But there are a number of arguments here that could be grabbed onto if a given regulator wants to defend their approval of the Microsoft Activision transaction, basically without restrictions on their own. So without further ado, this is about 350 paragraphs long. We're going to try to pull out The most salient, the most important parts of this particular opinion on this deal, understanding as a disclaimer that this was written in Portuguese and has been translated through the wonderful robots at Google Translate. And so we're going to cut them a break on some of the idiosyncrasies uh, that we see in the language here because this isn't what they wrote. They wrote it in a different language entirely. So. As we get into it, you've got the kind of overall bit of documentation that you would expect. Who are these people? Who's Microsoft? Who's Activision Blizzard? Here's one of those awesome translations. Was the operation known? In other words, was this deal uh, given proper notice? Did we hear about it in the proper venues? (laughs) To which Google Translate translates whatever they wrote in Portuguese here as, Yup. Now, I'm entirely in favor of government regulatory bodies answering questions in interrogatories like this with a yup, uh, but that's almost certainly not what they said uh, in Portuguese. And if you are Brazilian or if you just understand Portuguese, go take a look at the original of this through the link and let me know exactly what was said in Portuguese that arose with Google Translate translating it as yup. You get a description of the operation. We already talked about this. It's a pretty standard reverse triangular merger, which allows Activision Blizzard to exist post-operation, as they say, under Microsoft is a directly wholly owned subsidiary. You can check out earlier videos if you want more details on that. And then they talk about market definitions, and this is important stuff. So, one of the things that really jumped out at us as we analyzed the UK's position, the CMA, that's the UK regulatory authority's position on this, and why they were advancing their investigation to a phase 2, which was again completely understood to be the norm in this particular case, was that they were characterizing the markets at issue here very differently than we had seen these markets characterized in other places, right? Microsoft wants to go out there and say, look, gaming is big. There's huge players in gaming. There's Tencent. There's there's nascent players that could jump in at any time. There's Amazon. There's Google. There's obviously Nintendo and Sony. There's all these publishers. How could anybody consider us to be wielding market power over such a big market with so many players? And you look at that and you say, yeah, that's right. Gaming has a bunch of different players. Microsoft is one of those. Microsoft seeks to be a big player in that market. But what we're really worried about is them taking control and hurting a competitive environment, not just them competing successfully. Uh, And that's been the constant kind of back and forth that we've seen with FTC analysis and CMA analysis and now CADE analysis in Brazil. Uh, But what's important here is that Brazil is not going to follow the market definitions that the UK at least authorized as being investigated in their tier two review. So they wanted to look at things like, well, what if we just count the cloud computing portion of it? Because Microsoft has Azure uh, and they're trying to buoy their Azure sales. And if we count Activision's purchases somehow locking down either upstream or downstream effects from that particular ownership of those servers, then, well, we might have a problem. Similarly, they wanted to isolate Game Pass and subscription service models as distinct from the pay-to-play traditional video game purchasing model and say, hey, they've got a big process of owning possession in that particular model game pass is a big freaking deal and so when we talk about it we have to look at that as potentially being monopolized and if you go way back in time to some of the earlier videos in this playlist you'll see me say that was the avenue that i thought regulators could take if they were inclined to regulate you say well game pass is a big deal microsoft has first mover advantage they have a big market share there but for the most part even in the brazilian answers even when we saw Sony go out there and say, Call of Duty is so important, something must be done, uh, and clutching their pearls all the way to the bank. They did say that they didn't think that the methodology for getting games deserved its own market definition. I think Brazil took that into account because Sony didn't even advocate for it there. Will the FTC? Will the CMA? Will the EU? Mm, That's an open question. But it does mean that the markets we are going to look at in Brazil are markets that we wouldn't expect anyone to find Microsoft to be a monopolist in. So they say, with regard to possible competitive effects, the transaction is mainly related to the industry of development, publication, and distribution of electronic games, also commonly referred to by the Anglicism, (laughs) or in English, as video games. Formerly based on a pay-to-play model focused on the individual sales of games and devices, the video game industry has evolved towards creating new business models and different forms of monetization. We're going to skip so, so much of this document. So please do check out the link if you think I've skipped anything that seems like it would be pertinent or interesting. I'm only taking highlights out of this so that we can understand what good points that Cade has made. As informed by the parties, both Microsoft and Activision Blizzard are active in the development, publication, and distribution of games for PCs, consoles, and mobile devices. Uh, They make these things. And based on the information above, it appears that the transaction results in horizontal overlaps. Companies that do the same thing in the markets for, one, game development and publishing, Two, game distribution, so making games and selling games. Three, online advertising. And four, merchandising. We're not so worried about three and four. As it turns out, Brazil isn't so worried about three and four. But the first set of transactions that we're worried about are game development and publishing together, which we'll talk about in a second, and game distribution. Those are the areas where they think there might be a horizontal problem. It is also necessary to consider the existing uh, complementarity between the activities of the applicants in the segments of publishing games by both parties, and Microsoft's console business, selling Xboxes, and publishing games and online advertising. That's because of the interdependent relationship of those markets. In addition, the parties inform that Microsoft also offers several cloud computing services, many of which are used by development studios when developing, hosting, and running games. However, this is the first bit of really important stuff when we're looking at any of these regulatory approvals. They claim that this potential vertical relationship where they own multiple portions of a given ga- industry pipeline, here gaming, reported to antitrust authorities in other jurisdictions, like the UK, would not be relevant for the competition analysis carried out within the scope of Cade i.e. in Brazil, as they understand that, one, cloud services are not a specific input of the video game industry. So you don't need to think about it as something that goes into making you successful in video games. And two, There are no relevant game development studios in Brazil that require such services. Nobody in Brazil is selling their games through cloud interactivity, right? And this is super important. We're going to see this come up in a bunch of places. But when people go and they ask me, hey, did Brazil approving this? Did this just end things? Everybody else is going to fall in line. One, the answer is no. Brazil is a small market. I'm sorry, Brazilians. A number of you came out to me yesterday and said, hey, We're not that small of a market. No, you're not that small of a market. I think it's like a billion dollars in terms of market. That's great. Brazil's growing. But compared to the US, compared to the EU, compared to the UK, it is a small market and it isn't going to drive the regulators in those bigger markets to make any specific decision. The second part of that is that every given regulator is only looking within the territorial bounds that is put before them to determine what is necessary to protect competition for their consumers, their industry within their region. Yes, they can look at world statistics to try to figure out whether those would affect something within their region. Because if you become a monopolist across the world, even if you're not technically a monopolist within that region, you can still anticipate there would be bad effects from a lack of competition from that monopoly. And you can take that into account. But overall, every single regulator has been given authority under the sovereign power of their nation state and they are there to protect their citizenry. So Brazil looks at this, Cade looks at this and says, okay, we have to make certain determinations whether it affects Brazil or not. And one of the reasons this could be heavily discounted by the FTC or the EU or the UK, as we will see, is that Sony and PlayStation is real popular in Brazil and Call of Duty isn't. And so when one of the main argument points comes up before this regulatory body, they have paragraphs that are like, Yeah, we could see Call of Duty's popular in the world, but it ain't popular here. And so this regulator, faced with this question, looks at it and says, "Uh, sorry, Sony, Uh, you're already selling plenty of PlayStations and nobody really cares about Call of Duty all that much. And we'll get to those lines in this particular document. Paragraph 33, based on the above, the parties maintain that for the purposes of the competitive analysis of the transaction, game development and publishing activity should be considered as a single relevant market. Since game development is captive for both That is, all games developed by the parties are published by them. They don't use an outside publisher. So it's all just kind of one set of services. And two, here we go again. None of the parties operates in the development of games in Brazil, only in publishing. They don't have a Brazil studio. So this regulator looks at that question and says, well, if you don't have a Brazil development house, we don't have to separate out development and publishing Meaning that we can combine those things, which of course makes for a bigger overall market, a bigger denominator, and less likelihood of finding you or Activision as monopolists, especially when you get together. As for a possible segmentation of the market by platform, they suggest that the activities of development and publication of games for PCs and consoles could be considered as a single market. And distinct from the market of games for mobile devices, we'll actually see Brazil say, okay, we can try that. We can also separate them out by PC and console the parties argue that the precise definition of the relevant market could be left open, as in their understanding, there would not be any competitive concern of a horizontal or vertical nature, regardless of whether or not the market is segmented by platform. So one of the answers that Xbox and Activision have to Brazil is like, okay, we think it's probably console and PC together. Those are close enough competitors. We see people swapping between PC and console games, uh, but it doesn't matter. We're not a monopolist in console only. We're not a monopolist in PC. We're not a monopolist in mobile. So use whatever definition you like. Um, And based on development and publishing, Microsoft and Activision are almost certainly correct. Brazil also notes that they've done this before. More recently in Microsoft slash ZeniMax, Cade understood that the development and publication activities could be considered as part of the same relevant market in the context of that analysis, since the companies involved did not work in the development of games for third parties, nor did they have development activities in Brazil. So basically Cade says, yeah, we'll we'll keep them together because we already answered this question with respect to ZeniMax. Then we do some analysis. In view of the above, Kate understands that for the purpose of this analysis, game development and publishing activities can be grouped into a single relevant market under the product definition. We already looked at that. They take a look at some geography with Brazil and the world. We're skipping a lot of this, I know, but this is kind of the fact basis that they use to get to their analysis. And then we look at what they describe as their precedents. We talked about Zenimax already, and here is one of those areas that I wanted to highlight, not because it's important to this particular analysis, but because a lot of people also ask me, "Hey, okay." Will the EU use this from Brazil? Will the UK, will the FTC here in the US use this from Brazil? And the answer is, if they want to, (laughs) right? I know, lawyerly answer. But if the FTC wants to go in the direction that Brazil has shown here, yeah, you can use whatever you want to justify that other regulators have come to the same conclusion. Uh, But... It's very easy to differentiate things. As I've already mentioned, Brazil is focused on Brazil. The U.S. will be focused on the U.S., et cetera, et cetera. And you'll always be able to take different numbers and differentiate what another jurisdiction has come to if you want to go a different direction. Uh, but here we see Brazil using the European Commission as justification for their own thoughts. In its analysis of the same transaction here's ZeniMax, the European Commission did not reach a definitive conclusion on possible segmentation based on the form of distribution or the platform hardware, leaving the market definition open. So there is justification. Brazil looks at this and says, look, last time we looked at this, we decided on this. The EU looked at this. They decided on that. So everything here can be justified based on what some other really smart people across the world did. But keep in mind, the real politic of that situation is that you can use it if it's helpful. You don't have to use it if you don't want to. And you can always try to differentiate your jurisdiction. And you're generally going to have success with that if you're so inclined. In light of the above, it is observed that there seems to be no consensus among players in the video game industry, that's not you and me, that's actors in the video game industry, your Microsofts, your EAs, your Ubisofts, your Activisions, your Sonys, your Nintendos, nor consolidated national or international jurisprudence about a definition capable of precisely delineating the contours of the game distribution market from a competitive perspective. Said another way, Cade looks at it and says, nobody has a great definition of what video gaming is whether we should take consoles, whether we should separate them from PCs or mobile. And so we're just going to look at everything. And that's ultimately what Cade decides to do as we scroll and we scroll and we scroll. The results of the market investigation suggest that as gaming hardware, mobile devices are likely to constitute a distinct product market from PCs and consoles. So we're going to separate mobile off. We're never going to combine them. PCs and consoles in turn seem to be perceived as closer competitors. Most current electronic games are published for both platforms and provide very similar gaming experiences. And here's the first burn towards Sony. Even Sony, a traditional player in the console segment has recently started to publish games that were exclusive to the PlayStation, such as God of War, Horizon Zero Dawn and Uncharted for computers. So if you wanted to have them separate, because as we'll see in this report, Microsoft is at least close to questions that you have to be concerned about. If you just take game development and publication and put it only in consoles as a market, Sony, by moving into computers at this point, has made that difficult for Cade and probably other regulators to actually use as their denominator without PCs because they've entered into that PC market at the same time. In any case... Despite what has been exposed, this SGKd understands that the elements available in the case file are not sufficient to allow a definitive conclusion regarding possible segmentations of the gaming hardware market under the product dimension, especially in relation to the PCs and consoles. So we've gone through now 130 paragraphs, and for the most part, and this isn't the regulator's fault, what the regulator has decided is, uh, we don't know exactly what the market is. <laughs> We can't set a specific market. So at the end of the day, we're going to have to look at every market uh, and look at it in a bunch of different slices. And that's why this goes for 300 some odd paragraphs. Uh, And we're going to skip ahead and ahead and ahead here. Conclusion regarding the relevant markets. Considering all of the above and for the purposes of analyzing the transaction, the following relevant markets will be considered in this opinion. Game development and publishing. Considering the following scenarios. Publication for all devices. Publication for just PCs. Publication for just consoles. Publication for just mobile devices. Like I said, they didn't settle on anything. Digital game distribution for PCs and consoles, just for PCs, just for consoles. Market for game consoles, that's selling your Xboxes in general. National online advertising and national licensing market for consumer products. Marketing of things related to the games. We're then going to look at the horizontal concept, right? Activision makes games, Microsoft makes games. Do we have a concern that them getting together will monopolize enough of the game-making market for the most part, that they'll be able to foreclose the need for third parties to participate or other things that could be monopoly problems. Uh, And they go and they go and they go. And they say it should also be noted that some of the companies consulted during the procedural instruction, such as Sony, Ubisoft, and Warner Brothers, also presented their own estimates regarding the total size of their markets and the sources indicated by these companies. Basically, data and reports from specialized consultancies, such as Restricted, were quite similar or even identical to those mentioned in the methodology annex. In that sense, it is noted that everybody has roughly the same estimates of the market. And while it's unclear, says this particular regulator, we can at least be advised that all the parties are acting with the same relative understanding of what market share is from all of these parties. Now, these tables we're going to skip for the most part. They're written in Portuguese. We can generally tell what is being said here. This is the percentage portion of publishing and gaming devices for Microsoft and Activision. They have them under 10%. In both cases, everybody else is the rest of the market. Uh, Similarly, we have with respect to publishing PC games under 10%. They go over all the various parties that actually publish PC games. Uh, Publishing games for consoles, we see Microsoft and Activision under 10%. And this is going to continue on through these tables until you get to the analysis from Cade that says, look, there's not enough market concentration here. The estimates presented in tables 1 to 10 above show that in 2021, the combined market share of the parties was below the level of 20% in all possible relevant market scenarios examined. So that's generally participation in revenues coming directly from publishing and development. In addition, the variation of the HHI, the index that is the gold standard for folks like the FTC to actually evaluate what market concentration is and what the change will be when a merger is approved, was less than 200 points for all scenarios, indicating that the transaction in question would not by itself imply a significant increase in the level of concentration of the game publishing market, whether worldwide or nationally. In fact, says Cade, the information presented points to a relatively dispersed market with the presence of multiple players of different sizes publishing games for all hardware platforms. On the publishing basis, and nobody should be surprised by this at all, Microsoft Times Activision doesn't look like a problem one bit. We got publishers all over the place making games of all different sizes on all different platforms, And nobody would have been expected to just look at publishing and say that Microsoft times Activision would be a problem. And neither does Brazil. The proposed transaction does not raise competition concerns in the game publishing segment. You then see digital distribution. This is again the sales of games. You have a 10 to 20. You have a 0 to 10. So you're coming up at about 30 as a potential 0 to 10, 0 to 10 for PC, Uh, 10 to 20, 0 to 10 for PC and console together. And the analysis is very similar, as can be seen. You're at about 20, maybe 20 to 30 if we take consoles into account. And pursuant to our rules, horizontal mergers that result in that less than 200 point HHI difference and do not generate 50% control can be summarily approved by the antitrust authority. Thus, we don't believe the proposed transaction raises competition concerns in the game distribution segment. Just in terms of Activision's game distribution and Microsoft's game distribution coming together, we're not all that concerned about Battle.net being combined with Xbox Live. Uh, they then go to online advertising, and I skip most of this. None of these come very close. National licensing market for consumer products does not raise competition concerns. Considering the concentrations verified in the examined markets do not characterize the creation or strengthening of a dominant position, this SG slash understands that the intended transaction by itself does not have the power to generate the possibility of abusive exercise of market power in these segments. That's paragraph 200. You might think, Rick, they finished. They said, this cannot cause a problem as these two entities combine because we looked at distribution, we looked at publishing and development, we looked at online advertising, they say there's no problems. Well, that's not really what Sony was complaining about. Sony isn't really saying, well, these two publishers get together, and now nobody can publish, or these two distribution companies get together, and now nobody can distribute. What Sony has accused them of, what the UK and the CMA has indicated they could be accused of if phase two goes in a specific direction is what we would usually consider vertical integration. That there's a problem with Microsoft as the creators of hardware, as the creators of Game Pass, as the creators of cloud services taking on extra Companies' inputs, as the UK put it, even though I don't think it's a great definition for what Activision and Blizzard actually provide with respect to Microsoft, and foreclosing competition on those levels within the entire vertical structure of getting a video game created and out to consumer hands. And that's what Sony has complained about. So we can't just stop looking at horizontal kind of looks. We also have to look at vertical integrations. I know it's fun, right? Paragraph 201. As previously noted, the proposed transaction implies strengthening vertical integration regarding the upstream game publishing and downstream game publishing markets since both Microsoft and Activision Blizzard operate in both. According to the European Commission's Guide to the Analysis of Non-Horizontal Mergers, here's again an appeal to a different jurisdictions authority, Vertical mergers tend to produce less harmful effects in the competitive environment than horizontal mergers. Generally, we're concerned less about vertical consolidation. First, because they do not imply the end of direct competition between merged companies in the same relevant market. In addition, vertical integrations can provide cost savings and better coordination in terms of product development, organization of the production process, and way of marketing products, generating efficiencies that may eventually result in benefits passed on to consumers which is exactly the way the Department of Justice and the Federal Trade Commission have historically described vertical mergers and other integrations, which is that we have to be wary as regulators of looking for people actually making things higher quality, less expensive for consumers, because if you can bring some of these within the family, so to speak, you can potentially get out better products to the people that we're most worried about, the end consumer of these various things. Now, I say historically because... As we've said in this and other videos in virtual legality, the FTC, and in some respects the CMA and the EU for a longer time than even the FTC, have suggested they want to re-examine kind of the assumptions of antitrust law and potentially look at protections that should be afforded. What we heard from the FTC is the labor markets, which are input costs into making something that don't result in end-user savings and could, in fact, increase the prices that end users experience, to look at other markets within the creation process in an industry and potentially try to protect those at the same time. This is essentially the fight that's being had in political circles about whether consumer welfare should be the standard on which antitrust laws are adjudged. Now, currently, the judiciary in the United States says, yes, they very much are. And so the FTC isn't necessarily the final arbiter of that question, but that's where a lot of the consternation comes from. And that is one of the reasons why a number of people, including myself, believe that the FTC will at least tell Microsoft that they think there's a problem with the deal and there have to be certain concessions, like that Call of Duty has to be made available on Sony platforms for X amount of time. Brazil isn't buying that. And Brazil is not going to lead the EU, the CMA at the UK, or the FTC of the US in any particular direction on this. But it's worth noting that there are regulators that are still holding to kind of the old understanding of antitrust jurisprudence. On the other hand, there are situations in which vertical integrations can cause significant damage to the competitive environment. This occurs mainly when the merger between vertically related companies causes a market closure, that you actually kill competition in some important way. So first we look at publishing and distribution. Despite what is alleged by the parties, what is observed in practice is that in general, the concerns expressed by market agents consulted by Cade regarding the proposed transaction refer precisely to vertical integration as an issue. Microsoft says earlier in paragraph 2.10, we don't have any incentive to harm rival consoles by preventing them from accessing Activision Blizzard games, and we'll have no ability or incentive to harm rival publishers by preventing them from accessing our store or Game Pass or something along those lines. And Cade rightly says, uh, yeah, we can envision a world in which Microsoft looks at it and says, we could sell more Xboxes and make more money if we don't put Activision titles on PlayStation. And Cade is Right doesn't mean that's what Microsoft will make as a decision, but it does mean that Kate is appropriate to think about what it might mean. It can be seen, therefore, that the concerns raised by the aforementioned players can be summarized in two main points. This is Sony's complaint. If Activision Blizzard games, and especially the titles of the popular Call of Duty series, become exclusive to the Xbox ecosystem upon completion of the transaction, such a condition could give Microsoft a considerable competitive advantage over rivals, harming competition in the digital distribution and game console markets. Remembering that Brazil hasn't separated out the markets for this particular analysis that the UK has shown publicly are the most concerning. Now, I don't think those markets should be separated out. Let's editorialize a little bit. I think that they all are competitive ways of finding video games. And so that you don't separate out those markets because the substitutes go across pay to play and Game Pass and xCloud and everything else. But... Brazil, by making this decision at the market definition level, has basically reached the conclusion at that definitional level, right? If you go back to the start of Epic versus Apple on this channel, one of the things you'll hear me say is that defining the market is really settling the score on any of these given questions because the market will be the ultimate determinant of whether there's a monopoly issue or not. The other concern expressed by these players is that with the transaction, Microsoft would significantly expand the size and variety of its first party game backlog. I don't know exactly why that's a separate concern here, but it is noted here by Brazil. Paragraph 215, it is true that as well as the arguments brought by the parties, the manifestations of competitors of Microsoft or Activision Blizzard must be considered with some caution insofar as they reflect potentially biased positions. So here's an important part. I know a lot of people came out of the woodwork to say this when they saw the report done by the CMA in the UK, and that is, sure... You can look at what Microsoft is saying and say, yeah, we don't have to believe that there's no incentive to make Activision Games exclusive, Microsoft. In the same breath, you can say, yeah, we don't have to take on faith that you will be absolutely destitute and left to live under a bridge if you can't access Call of Duty titles, Sony. You each have your own interests. We understand that when we interview competitors in a market. And we're concerned about competition, not competitors, as Brazil will say here, and you will hear me say 50 times in this playlist, uh, which is a good thing to see, uh, but it doesn't mean that other regulators will hold to the same course. It is understood that an AC does not generate the possibility of closing the market, that's acquisition for us, when the joint participation of the economic groups involved is less than 30% in all relevant vertically related markets. So they're trying to use a little bit of math here on these market shares, and so they're going to look at those market shares. Here's publishing games of the parties World and Brazil. Despite the popularity that Microsoft or Activision Blizzard titles may have among the gaming public, the fact is that there is no indication that the claimants have market power in the electronic game publishing segment, nor that the transaction could create or strengthen a dominant position on the market in question. They look again with respect to distribution. The same can be said with respect to their share. Microsoft's share in the market for digital distribution of game consoles was just over 30% in 2021, so we cannot eliminate the possibility at this level that there could be an issue with game distribution distribution of console games is even a little bit higher in the 40 50s and 30 40s range for microsoft which we see here and as evidenced above the market for digital distribution of games for consoles has fewer players especially due to the fact that sales and digital media are centralized in each manufacturer's own stores in this sense it is likely that the structure of the segment reflects to some extent the competitive dynamics of the console market hey if all the stores are exclusive to the consoles then what we're really looking at here is the competition at the console level The evolution shown in the tables and graphs shows that although Microsoft holds a relevant market share, or more precisely 30 to 40%, and 30 to 40% in Brazil, not just in the world, its share is still lower than that of leader Sony, which accounts for 50 to 60%. So we care a little bit less, although we're still concerned if they're going to jump into a market dominant position. Also noteworthy is the fact, and here is, I think, the first volley that I found of Nintendo really gumming up the works for Sony's complaint here. And that is, concomitantly with the growth of Nintendo's share in this segment in recent years, possibly motivated by the commercial success of the Nintendo Switch, Microsoft lost a significant portion of its market share. In fact, while Nintendo's worldwide market share went from zero to 10 to 10 to 20, Microsoft's share dropped from 40 to 50 to 30 to 40. And this is a great paragraph that I love from Brazil, Because it's saying exactly what I've said in a number of instances on this deal, which is that there is a natural market dynamism in video games. That if you look on the sales of the various generations of game consoles, there isn't this kind of lock-in brand loyalty that we have seen in other technological industries. And so Nintendo going and taking 10% of market share in four years from Microsoft is a big deal. And generally, regulators are going to be cautious about getting in the mix for markets that are otherwise dynamic and policing themselves. Continuing, the information presented seems to corroborate the allegations made by some of the players consulted by Cade throughout the procedural instruction, that's when we asked for your letter comments, who cited the Call of Duty franchise as Activision Blizzard's most important asset in the video game market for PC and console. So important that in Sony's understanding, such a franchise could stand out as a category of games in itself. And they point out the NPD results for Call of Duty, top 20 best-selling games for PC and console, United States, 2010 to 2019. Keep that United States in mind, kiddos. Grand Theft Auto Five, just rocking it forever. Call of Duty, Black Ops, Call of Duty Black Ops 2, Modern Warfare 3, Black Ops 3, Ghosts. World War II, Black Ops 3, Advanced Warfare, Modern Warfare, Infinite Warfare, comprising no less than 10 of the best-selling games in the US in the last decade. Cade looks at this and says, you are right. This is seriously a big freaking franchise that we need to be potentially concerned about. Similarly, 20 most played games for PC, PlayStation 5, and Xbox Series X also shows a bunch of Call of Duties. But in relation to the charts above, another important point to note is that no exclusive game for PC, PlayStation, or Xbox appears in the list of the 20 best-selling games in the US in that decade. The games present in the rankings are available for both Sony and Microsoft consoles and for the most part also for PC. It seems quite likely that the fact that a certain title is or is not available for different platforms has a significant influence on its overall sales performance and the size of its active user base. Multiplats are the most successful, generally speaking. And so when we're looking at these kinds of things, it's important to take that into account because one of the things Brazil is going to say is like, well, if Microsoft takes it exclusive, they would undoubtedly be giving up access to certain players, access to certain revenues. And yes, they'd be trying to drive up other market segments, but does that actually kill competition? That's a decision that they have made. And the multiplats would be given an opening, an open window, open door to take over to some extent, whether that's Battlefield or some new player. 238. Despite the undeniable popularity of Call of Duty, the series dominance in the best-selling video game list is not, in and of itself, an indication that Activision Blizzard holds a dominant position in the game publishing market. In fact, from a Brazilian consumer perspective, Activision Blizzard games for PC and console seem to have less relevance, ouch, than publisher titles such as Take-Two Interactive, Electronic Arts, Sony, Tencent, and Valve, among others. There are also other indications that Call of Duty and other Activision Blizzard games would not be in Brazil as popular and relevant as in the United States and in other countries. Take a look at this table of game sales from 2017 through 2020 in Brazil. There isn't a Call of Duty to speak of. Or as Brazil says, neither Call of Duty nor any other Activision Blizzard title for PlayStation 4 appeared on the list of best-selling games in the Brazilian PlayStation stores for 2017 to 2021, despite the company having published several games for the console. Said another way, Brazil is effectively stating here, okay, there might be a case in the United States, but that doesn't mean there's a case in Brazil, which means a couple of things. One, yes, the Brazilian authority is exactly right to look at it in this way, but also to those folks saying, well, does this seal the deal for the FTC or the EU or anybody else? No, it doesn't. Brazil clearly has its own proclivities for these kinds of things or not, and they don't really care for Call of Duty or Activision Blizzard titles, as best as Brazilian authority can tell. It should also be noted that it is not only in Brazil and other Latin American countries that Call of Duty seems to be less popular and relevant than in the United States, but also in the Japanese market. I don't know what this actually says about this particular issue, but they wanted to note it. Based on the above, it is possible to observe that the Activision Blizzard catalog, and in particular, the Call of Duty series, are very important assets in the general context of the video game industry, being among the most successful games in terms of sales and audience. Nevertheless... This SG slash Cade considers that from the perspective of the Brazilian consumer, Call of Duty represents one among several highly successful game franchises, while Activision Blizzard, although it is among the largest publishers of games for consoles on the national scene, is not the most relevant among them. You might have paid $70 billion, Microsoft, but Brazil mostly doesn't care. It is also necessary, and here's Nintendo's second zinger, accidental, I believe, To consider that as Call of Duty is an essential game, as defended by Sony, then the Nintendo Switch would probably not be able to compete effectively in the market, since no title in the franchise was released for the platform. That is Portuguese to English translated shade here in virtual legality. Hey, if it's so necessary, Sony, how does Nintendo exist? (laughs) Brazil, not wrong. Paragraph 249, admittedly, the above list does not constitute evidence. The aforementioned games are necessarily capable of rivaling those of Activision Blizzard in terms of sales. This is a list of things that could be like Call of Duty, like Apex Legends. I don't think that's a great substitute. Battlefield, Counter-Strike, Halo, PUBG, Rainbow Six Siege, Valorant. A lot of not great substitutes here. Similarly, for Candy Crush, Diablo. Is Elden Ring a Diablo substitute? I have my doubts. Overwatch, World of Warcraft, etc. And they say, okay, so maybe that's not a great list nevertheless it represents at least a clear indication that there is an offer of several games with characteristics similar to those of activision blizzard titles by other publishers yeah okay maybe it's not comparable but there's still people trying okay this is because according to the understanding of most official agents all games of different genres compete with each other for time and player engagement and players are not usually limited to playing only games of the same genre so we're not going to separate this out by genre Furthermore, it is important to bear in mind that the game development publishing market is quite dispersed and open to innovation, which is what I sincerely hope in my heart of hearts other regulators would come to as an understanding of this particular industry, and that consumer tastes and preferences can vary significantly over time. That said, a video game doesn't necessarily even need to have a multi-million dollar budget to gain recognition and commercial success. Just to kind of stick it to Sony a little bit more, what if we used a Microsoft title to evidence this? As an emblematic example of such a statement, it should be noted that the initial version of the Microsoft game, usually referred to as the best-selling game of all time, was created and published independently by a single developer. Yep. Yep. And how did that work out? An interesting use of an example considering Microsoft bought Minecraft and makes it multi-platform available. So, hmm, what does that mean for Call of Duty? Uh, Paragraph 254, more precisely, as pointed out in its manifestation in the file, likely by Sony, there would be a theoretical risk that Microsoft, having enough first-party content in its ecosystem, could reduce its demand for third-party games for its consoles, digital stores, and subscription services, and with that, decide to close the Xbox ecosystem third-party content. They just have so many studios, they don't even need to license third-party content, and that's not really how their business model works, so I don't think that that's an actual risk. As seen above, the only downstream market segment in which Microsoft's market share slightly exceeds the 30% level, minimum percentage considered for the purpose of presumption of the possibility of closing the market, is digital distribution of games for consoles. And again, we're not so worried about that. Specifically in relation to the Xbox Game Pass subscription service, it is noted that the catalog of games currently available on the service includes, in addition to games published by Microsoft itself, including games by ZeniMax, Triple A titles from other relevant publishers such as Sega, Square Enix, Take-Two, and Ubisoft, as well as dozens of indie games developed by smaller studios, including Brazilian ones. In addition, some Game Pass subscription plans even include a subscription to the EA Play service, allowing users of Microsoft's service to also have access to dozens of Electronic Arts games in a single package. Again, we're just going to chalk that up to the translation, otherwise it sounds like marketing. While it is envisioned that the eventual inclusion of Activision Blizzard's extensive back catalog on Xbox Game Pass could in fact reduce... Microsoft's demand for third-party content for that service, it doesn't seem likely that the company will stop offering third-party games to its subscribers after the operation. Here, I think perhaps Brazil is being a little myopic, right? If you have a concern about closing out Game Pass, the concern is that Game Pass takes a dominant market position and that the deals get worse. And that if Microsoft is otherwise kind of baselined out with 24 or 30 development houses that can otherwise populate its Game Pass service, then it can get real mean with what it offers to developers who then need that access in order to get in front of enough eyeballs. Do I believe that argument? I do not. But I don't think that this paragraph, which is very dismissive towards it, yes, they'll still need third-party stuff, undoubtedly. The concept is what are the rates and what are the prices and how does that market get treated by Microsoft? I don't think Brazil is fully either taking that into account or is just dismissing it out of hand. In any case, even if Microsoft decided to make the Xbox Game Pass subscription service exclusive to first-party content, which would most likely reduce its attractiveness to current and potential consumers, publishers competing with the claimants would still have other channels available. Third parties can put their stuff elsewhere. Then we've got another digital distribution of games via digital stores. In the present case, the possibility of closing the digital game distribution market would occur in the event that Activision Blizzard has market power in the game publishing segment and has incentives to direct its content to Microsoft's distribution platforms, like Game Pass, causing damage to other agents in the downstream market. This is a little bit closer to what most people are concerned with. Conservatively, despite the relevant market scenarios adopted in this opinion, K deems it appropriate to separately examine the possible impacts of the transaction on digital stores and subscription services competing in the Xbox ecosystem so that analysis can consider possible particularities of each distribution channel. So we are going to talk about Game Pass. We are going to talk about digital stores as distinct from Game Pass, but we're going to do it a little bit later on. Now, again, Cade in Brazil is looking for examples for how you can survive without Call of Duty. They found one in Nintendo. They're going to find one in Steam. The absence of Call of Duty in recent years did not prevent Steam from occupying a leading position in the ranking of digital stores, especially among Brazilian consumers. And that might be the case Again, I think perhaps the analysis here is a little bit lacking because Steam has a number of other advantages going for it, not the least of which is the first mover advantage and a kind of latent ownership of the market share in the PC store space just by virtue of that first mover advantage and networking effects. So if we were really to do a kind of in-depth analysis of this, I think you would have to kind of separate out whether or not Steam was actually harmed by a lack of Call of Duty, even though you can't see it because they're at the top of the mountain. Um, and Cade in Brazil doesn't elect like to do that. Based on the above, it can be inferred that competition between digital PC game stores would not be significantly affected if Microsoft were to centralize the distribution of Activision Blizzard content in its ecosystem, since Activision Blizzard itself already concentrated marketing your most important games on your Battle.net score in their pre-operation scenario. Said another way, they're already separate, can't hurt anybody by keeping them separate. May or may not be true, certainly in the hands of a different company like Microsoft. In this specific segment, therefore, the possibility of closing down the downstream market would occur in the event that Microsoft starts to concentrate the distribution of Activision Blizzard games on the Xbox Store after the transaction in order to make difficult or even prevent the distribution of these titles on the PlayStation Store and Nintendo eShop. And of course, as long as such games represent relative input so that Microsoft's rival stores can continue to compete in the market. This is addressing what the CMA was concerned about in part, Uh, and that is, look, you take these exclusive, you put them only on Game Pass. Game Pass has an advantage already, Game Pass takes over what happens to competition. And Brazil, for the most part, is going to hand wave this. In consultation with Nintendo's official website in Brazil, we went to the Nintendo website, Cade found that only some games and content from the Crash Bandicoot, Diablo Overwatch, and Tony Hawk's Pro Skater series by Activision Blizzard are for sale on the official Nintendo Switch digital store, not there being a single Call of Duty title available for the platform. Look, I don't know why Spyro the Dragon was cut off from this analysis, but he was. They only looked at Crash Bandicoot. I can't explain it. Taken together, these elements show that the relevance of Activision Blizzard games to the Nintendo Switch and Nintendo eShop is minimal, so their eventual withdrawal from this ecosystem would likely not have any significant impact on Nintendo's game distribution business. Again, back to the well. Nintendo doesn't need Call of Duty. We're not going to take extra steps to protect Call of Duty for you, Sony. As for Sony, on the other hand, it turns out that all major Activision Blizzard titles for consoles are available on PlayStation, including games in the Call of Duty series. It follows, therefore, that Sony is the only player of the game distribution market for consoles, they have a store, that could, in theory, be harmed by Microsoft's eventual exclusivity over the distribution of Activision Blizzard content. I will shorten this for you, folks. Regardless of what Brazil says, they will be harmed if Activision takes all of its stuff exclusive to only the Microsoft store. Whether or not that harm is something that is competitive harm that actually harms the concept of com- competition or just harms a competitor, which in general we're okay with, is what these folks are actually supposed to be looking at. Despite this, SG Cade considers that in light of the elements available in the records, there is no evidence that Activision Blizzard games actually represent an indispensable asset for Sony's competitive performance in the digital distribution market, which is a long way of saying exactly what I just did, which is, yeah, you're going to lose some money, Sony, uh, but that, that, that's probably not our problem. In its response to a letter sent by SG, Sony reported that in the year 2021, Activision Blizzard accounted for, restricted, of total consumer spending on games and add-ons in the PlayStation ecosystem at a global level. Global and only Call of Duty responded for, restricted. Such percentages, although they are quite expressive, they're large, do not seem to reflect values whose loss could effectively limit the ability of the leading company in the console market to compete in the digital distribution segment and are certainly not sufficiently representative to the point by themselves to characterize Activision Blizzard's content as an essential input to Sony's business. So regardless of what you've heard on theory, Brazil has looked at these numbers, at least with respect to Brazil, and said, okay, that's a big loss. They are quite expressive, but that's not a loss that curtails your ability to compete effectively in the marketplace. That's going to be a reasonable minds can differ kind of thing. And a regulator that is inclined to regulate this deal could come to a very different determination, in all likelihood, with the same numbers that Cade or Brazil are using. Furthermore, it is observed that no Activision Blizzard game released for the PlayStation 4 was among the top 10 best-selling games in the Brazilian PlayStation Store in the last five years. It is quite true that the PlayStation Store ranking may not accurately reflect PlayStation 4 game sales in their entirety, as they do not include games sold on physical media. Nevertheless, it is still a reasonable indication that for most Brazilian users of the console... Activision Blizzard games catalog is less attractive and relevant than that of other major publishers such as EA, Take-Two, Sony, and Ubisoft, which are better positioned on this list. For all the above, although it is recognized that an eventual exclusivity over the distribution of Activision Blizzard content may give Microsoft a competitive advantage, there is no evidence that such an advantage can, by itself, harm the performance of third parties to the point of limiting competition in the market for digital distribution of electronic games. So on the storefront, Brazil is still not willing to give Sony credit on their complaint, even though they are acknowledging that Sony will be harmed. Again, as I've said in prior videos, it's okay to harm competitors. That's what we want competition to do. In all honesty, it just doesn't rise to the level of actually hurting Sony's ability to participate in the market. And that's what Brazil has found here. With the eventual addition of several popular Activision Blizzard titles to the already robust Game Pass catalog of games... It's quite likely that Microsoft's subscription service would come to hold a significant competitive advantage over its rivals. So it's like one rank higher than what we were just talking about. It is necessary to ask, however, whether such an advantage would be sufficient to, by itself, promote a substantial reduction of competition in this segment to the point of justifying an intervention by the antitrust authority. And here again is where I point out that Brazil is evidencing here and i don't know brazilian antitrust authorities or their proclivities but they're evidencing in this opinion writing a certain conservativeness of antitrust enforcement that is historically what we see on these kinds of questions that regulators are cautious to start to get involved if they can't show that there's a significant problem to competition brazil says okay game pass is going to have a big advantage is that a concern of ours Brazil's going to come out with the answer no One of the reasons they're going to come out with the answer no is that they're going to hold PlayStation Plus against Sony. So they're going to use these charts. And you see in terms of their market participation, Microsoft, with respect to multiple game subscription services, has a 30 to 40 number, while Sony has a 40 to 50 number. And that's really, really interesting because PlayStation Plus, I would argue, is not a market substitute for Game Pass, or at least it wasn't until PlayStation Plus changed its stripes. And remember, this is 2021. So Brazil is actually looking at the pre-changeover PlayStation Plus and finding that to be useful for analysis. Reasonable minds can differ there, and reasonable regulators probably will. Cade believes that the considerable market share held by Microsoft in all scenarios portrayed is due not only to the quantity and variety of content available on Game Pass, but also to the company's pioneering spirit in offering this type of service. <laughs> so what Brazil's trying to say here is that they were entrepreneurial, they get first mover advantage because they took the risk and they moved first, but it does sound a little bit like marketing speech, I'm not going to lie. By way of comparison, Sony's PlayStation Plus service has now adopted a model similar to that of Game Pass only in this year 2022. So they're acknowledging that there is a distinction through 2021. Despite this, The fact that Microsoft entered into the multi-game subscription segment before its competitors in the console market does not translate into a permanent competitive advantage for Game Pass, which is exactly what you want to hear regulators say, right? You want them to acknowledge the dynamism in these markets when you look at some of the things that came out of the UK report. And as I said, it suggests a certain static kind of thinking in terms of these percentages. That's not the case. Right? There is no guarantee that Game Pass will succeed forever. You can be concerned about it, especially if they lock Activision games behind it, uh, but there isn't a guarantee there, and in general, the history of video games has been a history of robust competition among all kinds of services and offerings. In any case, it is interesting to note that despite the fact that the PlayStation Plus service is only available on PlayStation consoles and has only recently migrated to a multi-game subscription model, Sony still held a market share greater than Microsoft in 2021. Again I think they're cheating. I don't know where their numbers are coming from. I don't know exactly how Live and Gold and Game Pass are integrated into what they're calculating with respect to Microsoft, Uh, but I think any reasonable observer of the gaming industry would not compare PlayStation Plus in 2021 to what Game Pass was that same year. In the current scenario, Microsoft holds a substantial share in the segment, especially in Brazil, where competing services like Stadia Pro and Luna Plus are not available. Thus, even if the operation were consummated, there would still be a considerable universe of game publishers who could create their own services or license their content to other multi-game subscription services. So we're not worried about that. Indeed, although many point to the streaming of games via the internet as the likely future trend of the video game industry, the fact is that consumer adherence to cloud gaming services is still relatively low. And here again, you see this kind of conservatism from Brazil. So they're going to look at a game industry biz news item here and they're going to say, well, cloud gaming hasn't taken over. Cloud gaming doesn't look likely to take over in the near term. The technological challenges to the growth of cloud gaming on a global scale and the still low adherence of consumers to the model are possibly factors that motivated Google to close its exclusive game development studios for Stadia in 2021. That's not the recent news, folks. And may also have influenced the decision of Microsoft and Sony to stop offering their Xbox cloud gaming and PlayStation Now cloud gaming services independently to consumers. These services currently integrate the more complete Game Pass and PlayStation Plus subscription modalities not being marketed separately so they are looking at this and saying okay we saw what the uk said we see what other people are talking about cloud gaming cannot be separated we don't care about azure servers we don't care about microsoft being that big because cloud gaming doesn't dominate the industry cloud gaming doesn't move the needle it is still too small and even these major players have looked at cloud gaming and said we got to integrate it with some of our other offerings because they don't support a separate market in of themselves i don't think brazil is wrong on this It is also important to consider that among the companies that offer cloud gaming services, there are extremely sophisticated players such as Google. Oops, probably could have changed paragraph 300, Brazil. And Amazon, both global leaders in their respective core businesses and well-positioned among the largest companies in the world. Said another way, we don't have to care about Microsoft as much on cloud gaming because Microsoft is also playing against other competitors that are either nascent or standing just on the periphery ready to jump in. So we can't just look at Microsoft's current market share when we're talking about what Google and Amazon can do in the future. Again, I don't think Brazil is wrong. We then get to another sequence of Brazil basically hitting Sony in the face with some of their arguments here. First, noting that Sony is massively the more popular console in Brazil. It is noted that specifically in Brazil, the estimates in table 30 suggest that Sony has reached market shares above 60%. Since 2019, they show a chart of PlayStation outselling Xbox, even in the very close PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 generation. And they basically just say, look, Sony is more than capable of fighting its own fight here. And they give credence to some of the things that Xbox has done over the past nine months or so, including Phil Spencer promising Call of Duty to be multi-platform for at least a while. In this regard, it is important, says Brazil, to note that Phil Spencer, the executive who heads the games division at Microsoft, has already publicly stated that he intends to honor the commitments made by Activision Blizzard with Sony and even keep the launches of Call of Duty and other titles on the market for several years beyond current commitments. Despite the above, the fact is that if the transaction is concluded, the future of Activision Blizzard content on Sony consoles would be uncertain. And even before that deadline, one cannot rule out the possibility of Microsoft changing their understanding, expressed in the affirmation public commitment. Therefore, the SG slash understands that the analysis of the competitive effects of the operation must consider the possibility of all Activision Blizzard games becoming exclusive to the Microsoft ecosystem. It is a possibility. We have to analyze it as such. Considering the huge popularity of Call of Duty, it is reasonable to infer that if Activision Blizzard games were no longer available on Sony consoles, PlayStation users could decide to migrate to Xbox or even a PC to continue having access to franchise games. Investment in exclusive content is and always has been very important for the competitive dynamics in the console segment exclusive content says brazil was most likely one of the main factors responsible for positioning the playstation as a leader in the world console market for more than two decades a leadership that continues to this day some ways the brazil cade order here sounds like my comments on some of my videos or sounds like twitter users hey playstation can't get up in anybody's grill about exclusives that's how they operate Brazil says in paragraph 340, if you're looking to reference it yourself, hey, Sony can't do that. That's how they operate. With the acquisition of a publisher such as Activision Blizzard and considering the theoretical risk of the company's content becoming exclusive to Xbox, it is likely that the eventual conclusion of the transaction will give Microsoft a considerable competitive advantage in the segment, that they're spending $70 billion to buy something. Even so, Cade does not see that such an advantage represents a risk of closing this market for current competitors. As already seen, Nintendo does not rely on any content from Activision Blizzard to compete in the market. Sony, if all the regulators decide to burn you, it might be because of Nintendo. Furthermore, it is important to highlight that the central objective of Cade's activities is the protection of competition as a means of promoting the well-being of the Brazilian consumer and not the defense of the particular interests of specific competitors. Say it again for folks in the back, Brazil. Because I've said this about the FTC leaks, I've said this about antitrust performance in both Apple versus Epic, and in some of the things we've already read coming out of the UK, the goal of antitrust is to protect competition, the concept of competitors beating each other about the head and face for your consumer dollar, and not protecting any given one of those competitors. And the UK and their report got that wrong in what they analyzed. And that doesn't mean that that's the end of the story because they're only going to go into phase two now. And Brazil got it very loudly right here. If Microsoft Times Activision goes through largely unscathed, it is going to be because regulators look at the situation as Brazil has done and say to themselves, we are not here to make sure Sony's market share is protected. And if they come to that conclusion, I think Microsoft Times Activision goes through pretty much unscathed, but I'm still holding out that we're only looking at a 70 to 30 type of possibility for the FTC and the EU and the UK. And I'm still expecting consent decrees about Call of Duty and maybe some other things, Game Pass and whatnot, because I think Microsoft's going to be willing to accede to those things. Uh, and for those of you that look at that and say, well, the guilty never plead, uh, plead guilty, or the innocent never plead guilty and those kinds of things, that's just not how this works. If Microsoft views the situation as such that they can get largely everything that they want by giving the FTC or the EU or the UK and everybody else some little, little dongles uh, that'll make them happy, then Microsoft, by God, is going to do it. In this sense, although it is recognized that part of PlayStation users may decide to migrate to Xbox, In the event that Activision, Blizzard games, and especially Call of Duty become exclusive, Cade does not believe that such a possibility represents, in itself, a risk to competition in the console market as a whole. And you see very similar analysis throughout the rest of this document and what they determine, coming to the conclusion, as we said a whole long time ago, that it is concluded that the present merger is approved without restrictions. So in answer to the questions posed to me, does Brazil mean anything the answer is yes and no. Is it going to drive what the FTC decides? No. Is it going to drive what the EU or the UK decides? No. But for those of you that are inclined either to be armed with arguments about why this deal should go through or regulators that decide that they want to be armed with those same arguments, Cade and Brazil have put together some solid ones, including that Nintendo doesn't need Call of Duty. So who are we to tell Sony that they have to get Call of Duty and other areas that are very specific to Brazil, but may well be specific to the jurisdictions in question. We still have a long way to go. We still have a lot of regulators that are going to have a lot of thoughts on these kinds of things. And so stick with us here in virtual legality uh, because we're going to have a lot of good analysis and a lot of commentary on those things. If you like these kinds of conversations, the business and law of video games, technology, and more, please do consider supporting the channel on Utreon or on Patreon. We cannot do it without support from folks like you and from folks like Riketsu86. Special thanks, of course, for supporting this specific episode. If you don't like either of those platforms, you don't want to become a YouTube member, do any of those kinds of things, just subscribing, telling your friends, hitting the like button, doing various things with bells or whatever else YouTube would have you do in any given case, Every little bit of that helps, helps us get this message out, helps us inform people that we're having conversations like this one. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. If you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only.